two. Wasn't that a good presentation? Fantastic. I appreciate all of you men and women that have served our country. We just praise the Lord for you. With that, let me show you a picture. Uh, Josh, some of the deer hunters aren't here today because they are backslidden. Can I hear an amen? I'm just joking. We got one picture up here. Well, there are actually two, I think. Um, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know why the Lord blessed him because he hadn't been here for two weeks deer hunting. But let me show you this picture. Can you believe that? Go to the next one. You, oh, you don't have one? I mean, that's a 15-point buck. Has anybody ever seen that, anything like that before? Anybody seen a bigger one than 15? Uh, this, uh, just a preacher back there, but you never can believe a preacher. Amen. All right, Esther chapter 2. We're going to talk this morning about when the deck is stacked against you. So look at your notes this morning, because uh, we're going to uh, just jump right into this. Um, last week, we set the stage for you in the book of Esther, and we laid out the characters, and there's definitely some characters in this book. But uh, have you ever felt, you know, just felt like the deck was stacked against you? You ever been, you ever felt that way before? You know, financially, you take two steps forward and then maybe three back. Maybe at work, you're trying to get that promotion, that raise or whatever. Something happens and you lose the company a bunch of money. It just sets you back. You ever felt like the the deck was stacked against you? Well, here in our story, we're going to find out that it looks like the deck is stacked against Esther and Mordecai. But in reality, behind the scenes, the Lord is stacking the deck in favor of Esther. And what we're going to see, as we talked about last week, is we're going to see that God is sovereign and he's working out all the details behind the scenes. Look at your notes there. We can trust God even when we cannot trace God. We can trust him even when we cannot trace him. This story, and there's so many twists and turns in the story, this is better than a real or than a movie. We went to see Thor last night. Fantastic movie, by the way. But this story is a lot better. Amen? amen. Come on, you spiritual people. Say amen. amen. All right. This one's so much. It's got so many twists and turns, as we talked about. It's got the Thor, but it also has the notebook in it. Just kind of mingled around, right? <laughs> Great stuff, as we're going to see. <clears throat> it's a display of Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. We opened up the stage with um, a pompous king, Zexer. Right? I just wondering if he was paying attention last week or not. Xerxes. Zexer, but we call him Jerxes. All right? Last week we found out he was having a party for how long? Six months and seven days. And after the third day, he was high in spirits. He was what, guys? Drunk, all right? And while he was drunk, he decided that he wanted Esther to come out and parade around in her royal crown. And she was rebellious and said no, so he got angry. So we have a pompous, um, angry, drunken king, and he makes bad decisions. And so he, he uh, vanishes Queen Vesti from his presence forever. That was, what, that was a decision that he made. It was a crazy decision. And so what we're going to see is the story continues from there. Because every, every week we're going to take the next chapter. And uh, what we see in this whole story today is this one idea. 
we see the hand of God working in three areas. All right, look at your notes. Number one, we see the hand of God moving and working behind the scenes in the contest of the king. In the context, contest of the king. Look at verse one. But after Xerxes, or Xerxes, anger subsided. Now, you think, okay, so this has been maybe a day, maybe you know, after six months of drinking, it might take three or four days to come down from the drunkenness. So let's just say a week, right? After his anger subsided and he got over his hangover, maybe his anger subsided. But this history tells us, listen very carefully, this was four years later. Four years. His anger finally subsided. Now, we could, we could actually say, we could probably preach a message right on that. Amen? Forgiveness. All right? Don't hold that anger because it turns into hostility. It turns into, I mean, just, it just goes on and on and on to bitterness and unforgiveness. All right? It goes on. It says, when his anger subsided, he began to think about Veshti and what he had done and the decree that he had made. So the, he, the king was sitting around feeling sorry for himself. I'm lonely. I miss the queen. Man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I, I, I just have regrets. You ever made a decision like that? When you got angry? Maybe when you got drunk? You was too prideful? You ever made decisions like that where you just sit back and you regret? Well, that's what this king was. All right? He was regretting what he had done. He probably had in the background his favorite country song on, right? And he's just little, little, just feeling sorry, woe is me, as this was going on. Am I feel his pain? Okay, notice what the next verse says. <clears throat> so, so he's in this depressed stage, this regret stage, and his attendants come up with this great, great idea. Okay, verse 2. And his personal attendance suggested, let us search the, the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king and let, let, him, let the king appoint agents in the providence and bring these beautiful women to the royal harem uh, at the fortress of Suset. Suset. You like that? I got it, right? Amen. Got it right. And, and then Haggai, I could just say the hag, but it's Haggai, the king's eunuch. How many Googled that last week? Don't tell me, all right? The king's eunuch in charge of the harem will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman uh, who most pleased the king, the one, the one who pleased, pleased the queen, will be queen instead of Eshtai. Now, maybe he didn't like that advice, but notice what it says. This advice was very pleasing to the king. Duh! Right? Do you see that? So he put the plan into effect. Okay, which one of you are texting me up here? It's Sunday morning. Shouldn't be texting me. Can't hear you, man. There's three texts that just came in. Who? Anybody here? You're telling me, be careful, be careful. Okay, so he put the plan in action. This is, this is the contest. For the king, all right, I'll turn this down. Is that kind of, there's five texts just came through. Do you mind if I just turn this down real quick? I forgot my watch. Here it goes again. All right. forgot my watch, so I had to bring my phone up here. And so this contest is going on, 
And what I want you to see is literally behind the scenes, it looks like this is stacking in the deck for the king. He's going to get this beautiful queen. But in reality, he's stack, God is behind the scenes and he's stacking the deck for the queen. He's literally God, even though his name is not mentioned in the entire book of Esther, we see the handprint of God all through this book. It's a fantastic story. Look what uh, Spurgeon said, one of the great uh, heroes of the faith or one of the great theologians. Look what he said. He said, there is no attribute of God more comforting to the children of God than the teaching of the sovereignty of God. So if you're here this morning, you're going through some problems, some difficult times, this should be encouraging to you. Because it looks like the deck is being stacked against you, but in reality, behind the scenes, if you're a child of God, Romans 8, 28, he's literally working things out for your best interest. Now hear an amen. He's working all of that out. And so this is a great and fabulous truth. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Now, in Deuteronomy 7, or 31, in our small group, this is, this is a couple of verses that have popped out at us, all right? Moses called for Joshua as all Israel watched. So here we have Moses getting ready to leave, depart the scene. He's going to die. Joshua's going to take his place, and he's going to instruct him in front of everybody. It says, And he said to him, be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land uh, the Lord swore swore to their ancestors, and he would that he would give them. Now, now notice this one part. You are the one. Don't you just like that? Isn't that good? You are the man. You're it. Who will divide it amongst the uh, basically divide the land amongst the tribes. Look at the next verse. Verse eight. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally, all right, if you've got your, your Bibles out, you need to underline it. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will n- neither fail nor abandon you. He will personally, I love that, I circled that in my Bible, He will personally go before you. Well, what in the world does that mean? That means that God knows where you're going, where you're going to be tomorrow, And he's already been there. And he's worked the situation out for Joshua. He's already worked out where I'm going to defeat the enemy for you, Joshua. I'm going to be there ahead of you, and I'm going to work all the detail, all the circumstances, all the events, and I'm going to turn them in your favor. Even though you don't think that, that's what I'm doing behind the scenes. God goes before Joshua, but he also goes before us in our circumstances. Have you ever wondered that? Seriously. Have you ever wondered in your life, as you look back on life, man, it seemed like God was there, and he protected me. Anybody ever have that thought? As I go back and I look back on my life, before I got saved, I'm thinking, man, God was with me. I mean, all of those circumstances and all those events, my life could have been devastated, disaster, and yet it seemed like God was there working things out so that I could future be in the ministry. I could have literally destroyed the opportunity to be in the ministry. I mean, God. And your life probably the same way as you look back. Abraham. 
Abraham's 50 years old, 60, 60 years old, he's an old man. Amen. Abraham's 60 years old. God says, I'm going to give you a son. You and Sarah are going to have a son. It's a promise from God. Yes, Abraham. 70 comes, no son, no sign of a son. So his wife hatches this idea, I'm going to give you my maid and you can have a child by her. He did. It wasn't it. It wasn't the one that God promised. So God said, nope, he's not the one. 80 years old, still no child. 90 years old, still no child. 100 years old. Get the drift? He's 100 years old, still no child. Guess what Abraham did? I give up. My wife is past the stage of what? Bearing children. All of a sudden, at 100 years old, he gets her pregnant. Can you imagine that? She's pregnant at 100 years old. Now, that's Bible. All right? So here she is pregnant. Abraham looks back and he says, God was there and I didn't know it. God was there and I knew it not. He was working all these circumstances to get them to this point to grow them and so that he would have a son. And then, of course, his grandson, Jacob, the same thing. Just giving you illustrations of this truth that God goes before us as we depart from Esther for a few moments. His grandson, Jacob, He's a conniving little manipulator. He literally lies to his father. He steals his brother's birthright, and he runs away from home. He goes out, and he's manipulating. He gets this one, Leah, and, but he wanted this other woman, so he literally marries her, and then he marries her. And he's got five women, or four women, that he's literally going tent to tent to and having children. And he ends up having 12 sons. 12 sons. And you think, God cannot be in that. God cannot use that. It's impossible. Yet they were the 12 sons of the tribe of Israel. God used that. And this is what Abraham, or, uh, Jacob said. He was going back to see his brother. His brother was coming out with an army. He heard about it. So he literally goes to his tent, and he gets right with God. He goes back to Bethel, gets right with God. And when it's all done, he says this. He literally says this. God was there but I knew it not. Does everybody follow me? God went before Abraham, worked out the situation. God went before Jacob and worked out all the situations so that God could literally turn the events and turn the circumstances for Abraham and Jacob's best interest. The same thing to to, uh, Joseph. Same thing. Joseph's brother hates him. Brothers hate him. They throw him in the pit, planning to kill him. As Joseph's in the pit, he did not realize that God was in the pit before him. He was there. And as Joseph was crying for his life, God moved, and here comes a band of people that bought slaves and traded slaves. Guess what the brothers did? Oh, we don't have to kill him now. Let's just sell him. So they sold him. Then he goes to Potiphar's house. His wife, Potiphar's wife, accuses Joseph of rape throws Joseph into prison. In prison, he he has this whole gang of friends and they forsake him in prison. And then finally, you know the story, he's placed to the second in command. And Joseph, at the end of his life, or really when he saved his brother's life, he said this in Genesis 52. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What he was saying was simply this. God went before me 
And everywhere I went, though I knew it not, God went before me. He was already there. I want to drive this home this morning. As good as that is, it's not the best. It's not the best when later in life you find, oh, God was there, but I knew it not. What I want us to do this morning is be proactive. When we get into a situation, circumstances that are difficult, that are hard, instead of say, you know, worrying and fretting, and, and where is God? Understand that God has already been there. When you get in that situation, it would be fantastic if you say, God is here, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult, God is here, because that's the teaching of the book. That's the sovereignty of God. Let me give an illustration of somebody in the New Testament that actually did that. Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, winning people to Christ, somebody got saved, and then their boss was losing money because now they're Christians, they're not doing what they used to do, so they're losing money. So they turn him over to the authorities. They take sticks, rods, the Bible calls them rods, and they beat Paul. Beat him for preaching the word of God, for starting churches and getting people saved. At midnight, he's in prison, right? They throw him in prison. At midnight, he begins to sing praises and worships God. Follow, follow me, everybody, listen. Why did he do that? He's worshiping. He, he probably waited till midnight because he just finally woke up from the beating. None of us have been beaten for our faith necessarily. None of us have been really persecuted for our faith like Paul. I mean, literally, he wakes up and he begins to lift up his hand. He begins to worship God because he understands that this prison cell, God, when I got here, God was already here. This is powerful. This is fantastic. And God revealed himself that he was. Because you know the story. The chains, there was this great earthquake, the chains fell off, the stocks fell off, the d- prison doors flung open, and the, the, the guard of the prison drew his sword, was going to kill him, thinking that the slaves of all, or the prisoners have all got out. And Paul says, stop! The guard comes over, gets down at the feet of Paul, and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul understood that God, even though this seemed like the stacking his deck against Paul, it was really stacking it in the favor of Paul that Paul could win this man and his entire family to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm saying. God is literally working behind the scenes. It'd be so great if we'd enjoy the journey and understand that our God is behind the scenes moving and working. And we can, instead of, woe is me, instead of crying about all the circumstances, the lack of money, the friction in the relationships, that we understand that, listen, I get into this situation, I get in these circumstances, and guess what? God's already here. Not is he already here, but he's on my side. And he's working out all the details that the the deck is stacked in my favor. You ever did that to somebody? You're playing cards, they go out of the room, and you stack the deck. How many's ever done that? You guys are a boring crowd. That's it? Yeah, amen. Anybody ever took money out of somebody's wallet? Last night, I took the, we took the teens out. We had this teen activity. Yeah, had this teen activity. <laughs> and she's not here. She's a backslider too. In her straw, we put a big, long paper wad down there. So when she sucked it, 
it was, it, was, it was classic. Okay, I don't know why I got into that. But my point is, I mean, it seems like they sit down and they see the, and then somebody has a loan. It's, it's fantastic. Well, that's our life. Can you put Romans 8.28 up there? Now listen very carefully. All things, grab a hold of that. All things work together for good. Now that's, that's, that's King James, all right? Do you have that verse? She's getting it? All right. All things work together. Now, now the first thing I want you to see is, and we know that God causes everything. This, the translation says everything, but King James says all things. I like that. Everything to work together for good to the, of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if you love God, he's literally behind the scenes, and, and that's what we talk about. He's working everything out. So when we first step into those circumstances, we need to lift our hands like Paul. Even if you've been beaten, God is working out this detail. The problem is we're just so, we're so Americanized. If things don't go our way, we throw a fit. Somebody say, amen, breather. That preaches. Amen, Flanner. That preaches. Because it's true. <laughs> you guys are real quiet. Am I stepping on anybody's toes? Huh? No, I don't want to. All right? We're just talking about reality here. All right? What we go through. All right, so let's go to the second thing. Okay, go back to the book of Esther as we continue here. Uh, first of all, we see the hand of God behind the scenes in the king's contest. I get to pick the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. Looked like it was working for his favor, but as we're going to see, number two, the crowning of Esther. Look at your notes there. Now, there's four things in the crowning of Esther that God was moving behind the scenes to work it out in her favor. First of all, notice number one there, the influence of Mordecai. The influence of Mordecai. Look with me at verse 5 and 6. At that time, there was a Jewish uh, man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai. Okay, so it goes into the names, all these crazy names, which I'm not going to read, uh, verse 5 and 6 there. And, uh, but the point is this. He came over as a slave in Babylon uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar was gone, Cyrus ruled, and then he was set free. But he stayed in Persia with his family, Esther, and his brother and sister-in-law in Persia. He stayed there. And, and, and of course, Queen Esther, well, his, her mom and dad dies in verse 7, and so Mordecai adopts her, all right? He adopts her, and all through the story, now watch as we go through this, all through the story, because this is important, Mordecai is leading her on what to say and what to do. He literally walks to where she's at, and he waits at the gate to hear what's going on, and then he sends a messenger on how to respond to Mordecai. This is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. I mean, a fantastic picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally moves and guides and directs. Let's go to John 14, 16 through 18. Let's look up here on the screen. Jesus, of course, is getting ready to leave. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Here it says advocate, uh, who will never leave you. Look at verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit, okay, 
The Holy Spirit's the one he's referring to. Who will lead you into all truth. Now, the world cannot receive him because, notice this. The world cannot receive him because it's not, what? Is that one word? Looking for him. Okay? It's not looking for him. Now, just jump on that phrase for a moment because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. All right? The world's not looking for him, which brings the thought that are we looking for or looking to the Spirit of God that lives in each and every one of us on a daily basis. I mean, God is there. He's the lead us. He's the guide us. He's speaking to us. And that's what we're going to see. Uh, go back to the next verse. Uh, uh, because, he, because it's the world is not looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. All right, so let's stop there. So, so the Holy Spirit is in us, leading and guiding and directing. And that's exactly what Mordecai is doing. All right, so that's number two, the influence of Mordecai. But we're going to come back to the Holy Spirit in a little bit. Number two is the encouragement of Haggai. Look at verse 8 and 9, if you will. <clears throat> As the result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's, Haggai's care. Now, just a eunuch, just a strange guy out of nowhere. Notice how God was moving. Haggai was very impressed with Esther. And he treated her kindly. And because he was so impressed with her, notice what he does. He quickly ordered her a special menu. She got to have McDonald's, cheeseburgers, fries. He provided also beauty treatments, spas, all right, all kinds of things. Probably, what do you call those, manicures and the pedicures? They call them pedicures? Pedicures? Why do they call them pedicures? It's kind of weird. He also assigned her seven maids specifically chosen from the king's palace. How would you like to have seven maids to help you look beautiful? All right? And moved her and her maids to the best place in the harem. I mean, how would this strange Jew all of a sudden be be impressing all of these people? It wasn't just her beauty. There was so much more. I wish I had time to go into all of it, but we don't have time. Uh, The third thing that God was moving in in, uh, her becoming uh, queen was the nationality of Esther. Look at 10 and 11. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality. Her family background. Because Mordecai had what? Directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai walked near to the courtyard of the harem, of course, where Esther is, to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. So, so God's behind the scenes in this crowning of Esther. He's working through Mordecai and his influence, and he's also working through Haggai, and his impression, and her nationality, and last of all, number four, through the fact that the king approved of her, and he anointed her as queen. We see that in verse 12 and 13. But let's look at verse 12, first of all. For each young woman, was taken to the, for each young woman that was taken to the queen, king's bed, she was given a prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment. Did I read that right? How many of you men get upset with your wives because they take too long getting ready? 
This was 12 months, a year. Six months special treatment of oil olay or oil of myrrh. Followed with six months of special perfumes and ointment. Man, she had it made. And of course, when the time came, so, so all of a sudden, this king, I mean, she, these people are getting ready, and here she is, and she's getting approval. And then look at verse uh, 16. We f- see Esther was taken to King Xerxes' royal palace in the early winter of the seventh year reign. And the king loved Esther. <laughs> How's that even possible? Out of all these beautiful young women, and she was a Jew. And he was so delighted with her that he set, a royal, set the royal crown on her head and declared her as queen instead of Vashti. He was so delighted in this stranger to their kingdom that he made her queen. Verse 18. To celebrate this occasion, he gave, great bank, gave a great banquet because he loved banquets, right? No doubt there's a lot of booze here. Because he loved to drink. He loved uh, to get drunk and have parties. To celebrate, Moses, he gave a great banquet in honor, uh, in Esther's honor, for all his nobles and officers. And they declared a public holiday. In other words, they had Esther Day. We just celebrated Veterans Day yesterday. They had an Esther Day. And it says, and for the providence of giving generous gifts to how many people? Everyone. So, so here they're celebrating and they're giving gifts to everyone. It's like Christmas time. The king is so excited. He's just, he just giving gifts to everybody. And it made this a great festival, a great honor. Again, we come back to the idea that God is working behind the scenes and he's moving and he's directing so that, so that his plan, the deck is not stacked in the king's favor, Although it looks like that, it's actually stacked in the favor of Esther. I mean, you can't get a more unlikely person to be queen. Am I right? She's a Jew. She was once a slave, outcast. I mean, she was common. She was not of royal line. I mean, truly... This is a Cinderella story, if there ever was one. It's hard not to root for Esther. But the idea is this. God doesn't use unbroken, perfect people. And this should encourage us. He uses, look at your notes, He uses, God uses common people to accomplish uncommon purposes. God uses broken people. He uses people just like you and me who literally feel there's no way I can be used by God in any significant way whatsoever. But our God is not like that thinking. He uses people like Esther who were slaves, whose mom and mom and dad died adopted i mean he uses this kind of people for his purposes but there has to be that one thing to those who love god and to those that are called according to his purpose and last of all here we go we're almost done the council of mordecai 
Verse 21 through verse 23 is a, another tremendous plot. It could be a movie in its own. Follow me. One day as Mordecai did his duty by the king's gate. Okay, so he was, had something to do with the gatekeeper. Two of the king's eunuchs. Remember last week? Bigtha? How many remember Bigtha? Well, this one's Bigtha Nuh. Uh, okay, he, he's, he's bigger than Bigtha. Okay? So again, if we want to be eunuchs, we want to be what? Bigtha. Tish, what's the other one? Tirush, who are guards at the door of the king's private quarters. Oh, so, so they have access directly to the king. Okay, great story. Let's, it's just building. Okay, so they have this access. Who, who were guards of the king's private quarters became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. It, this, is, this is literally a movie coming alive. So they, they're planning to put the king to death. Now notice what it says. Um, it says, uh, verse 22, But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to who? Esther, the queen, who has direct access to the king, and she told the king about the story and gave Mordecai the credit about the report. Okay? When the investigation was made, Mordecai's story was found to be true. The two men were impelled with sharpened poles. Okay? A cruel death, no doubt. This is all recorded in the history of King Xerxes' uh, royal history. All right? So, so fantastic stuff. But notice again behind the scenes. Who's the one that found out about the plot? Who's the one that spoke it and gave it to Esther? It was Mordecai. What's Mordecai a type of? He's a type of the Holy Spirit. So all of the, I mean, literally, the king's life is spared because of Mordecai telling Esther and Esther listening to everything that Mordecai tells her. He's following her, her, his lead in every aspect. Mordecai comes by the, the gate every day and he sees what's going on with Esther and he talks to Esther. She listens. And so, and so because she obeyed the king, the king's life was spared. The bad guys were dealt with. And then as we're going to see, Esther appears to be loyal. Mordecai is valuable. But here's the application. Let's not forget this. Mordecai is a type of the Holy Spirit. As we walk through this life, God's in heaven, we have the word of God, but inside of every single believer is this third person of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that he is leading us and guiding us, and he wants to speak to us, which he does from the word of God, and he impresses upon us thoughts and direction i mean the holy spirit is literally has a valuable purpose in our life but here's the problem we don't even realize that mordecai or the holy spirit is alive speaking we just wrapped up in our busy daily lives that sometimes can I hear an amen we forget about the holy spirit god living inside can I hear an amen i mean that's that's just the reality it's not a debbie downer it's just I mean, if anything, it's encouraging. God doesn't have this, uh, uh, remember the Batman movie? Batman blows up the Joker's empire. He drops these bombs out of his car, and as he's driving, very first Batman, he's driving out. And the Joker's in the helicopter and says, 
you miss me. How many remember that movie? Just a few of you? Come on. Okay, so he's up in the helicopter. He sees everything that's going on, and Batman missed him. The Holy Spirit isn't above us. God's not speaking down to us. He literally has the Holy Spirit. It's, it literally leads us and guides us and directs us. He speaks to us. So we have to get to the place in our lives. Listen, where we're looking. Remember what John 14 said? The world doesn't know about the Holy Spirit because they're not looking for Him. We need to first of all believe that He's here. Romans 8, 9 says, if you're of God, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have not the Holy Spirit, you're not of God. He's there. Every person that receives Christ, they get the Spirit of the living God. Lives inside of them. So he's there for the purpose of guiding and directing and lead us into truth. And let's just put John 14 up there because it's it's so so good. Well, let me just go there because I'm going to bounce around a little bit. I'm going to go to John 16, 12, and 13. I don't believe she has that up there. Listen to this as, as Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. There is so much more that I'd like to tell you. He's talking to the disciples, but you can't hear it now. You can't bear it. Verse 13. When the Holy Spirit is come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own self. The Holy Spirit's not going to draw attention to living inside of you and say, look at me. Okay, he's not going to eat, but will tell you, still going to tell you. The Holy Spirit will tell you, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Everybody see that? Every one of you. You don't have to be a preacher to hear from the Spirit of God. He will communicate. He lives on the inside. He will tell you. Now, notice what he tells you. What he has heard. He will tell you about the future. So remember, God's already been there. So the Holy Spirit, as you go in these circumstances, he's going to remind you if you let him, if you're looking, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will remind you, listen, I'm already here. I'm already here. It's not a Debbie Downer. It's a great message. It's a great truth. It's just we got we to gotta tap into that. We can't just live our life daily and just do the grind as the world does up and down and up and down. We just follow the world. Don't we, believers? Real life, it's real life because we're being real up here. All right? Up one day. Why? I broke a nail. Amen? That's just a, hopefully you didn't break a nail. We're not talking about that. But just the little things, the insignificant things, we get discouraged. But when you go into those circumstances, understanding that God's already there and he's working things out for your best interest. Man, that's so encouraging. Then when you do get beaten with rods, you can still lift your hand and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because you've already been here and you're working these things out for me and you'll never leave me nor forsake me. But it comes back to the place of reminding ourselves God is in here. And he wants to communicate. 
but you had to be looking for him. Looking for him. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we come to you this morning. Father, we confess today. Uh, this, is a, this is a great uplifting message if we, if we apply it right. Father, we, we confess to you that we struggle with these circumstances. We struggle with believing that you're behind the scenes and you're stacking the deck in our favor. Father, we struggle in believing that. And we definitely struggle in that making application to it, Lord. So, Father, we pray this morning that we just not go through another service without making application. But, Father, we would literally grab a hold of that truth. And every time we come into circumstances, we, we pray you'd help us to get close to the Spirit of God, that we'd be intimate with Him. And, Father, we would listen to what He has to say as He reminds us about your awesome, sovereign power and your awesome love for us. Everything hinges on your love for us. Help us to get our eyes off our circumstances, Lord, and our eyes on you, your word, and your spirit within us. God, you have spoke to everyone on different levels this morning. Every one of us. We're at different levels spiritually, and as we preach, your word will not return void. So, Father, I pray you'd bind Satan right now in each and every heart. Bind their flesh as well. And I pray as we stand and as each one of us come to you in prayer, I pray, Father, you would do a work in every one of our hearts. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a moment. Again, heads bowed, eyes closed. Right where you're at, this is a message to make application. Right where you're at, go to the Lord and, 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 and talk about the takeaway. Two takeaways is that God is sovereign and he's already where you're going. He's already been there. He's working things out. And secondly, the Holy Spirit wants you to look to him. Those are your two takeaways. So before they, they sing and before we take the offering, just a time of silence as they play, but just a time of silence for you and the Lord to do business. Now, if you want to, you can come down here and pray. No one's looking around. Everybody, every head bowed, every clock. So just for the next couple of moments, you do business with God. Right where you're at or here at the altar. Just over the next couple of minutes, we're going to do that. Giving you that quiet.